Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. Today is the week of all craziness because Vacation Bible School breaks out on our campus. There are hundreds of children and leaders signed up to be here. They will be bouncing on the pews and having worship concerts and water slides and uh, studying the Bible together. And so it's a, it's a great party week around our church, and we love this week and look forward to it every week. And as often happens around this season, we have baptisms both uh, today, Sunday, and next Sunday. Uh, we have uh, baptisms that are already scheduled, and there will probably be more on the way uh, as the week goes on, because there are kids who join our church during this week and decide to follow Jesus this week. And if they and their families are ready, we have baptisms the following Sunday. Uh, so make sure you join us on the Valley Center campus after the 11 uh, a.m. service at around noon. If you're at the Glendora campus in the morning, you can come racing over here if you want to see the baptisms. Or if you're ready to be baptized and want to come over, we're going to do it at noon at the Valley Center campus. Uh, if you're at home online and uh, today's the day, then come on down and we'll do a baptism today. Anyway, it's a great week. We really look forward to this week and it's a great highlight of the summer uh, and I am thankful for this week. Today we're going to continue in our series of teachings called Encountering God. And we've talked all about moving from a secondhand faith to a firsthand faith from a faith that was taught to us, it was passed on to us, to, to a faith that is really our own because we have entered into the power and the presence of Jesus and we have heard his voice. And that's an invitation that goes out to all of us. And we can get settled into a habit of living in a secondhand faith, of living in a faith that's been handed to us and, and wonder if there's something more, wonder if there's a deeper experience out there that's available to us. Some of us, like myself, grew up in sort of the literary analysis tradition, where what you do as a person of faith is you study the Bible, you study God's Word, and that's a great thing to do. And you join Bible studies, and when you get really into it, you lead Bible studies, and if you get really, really deeply committed, you learn to do Bible studies in the Hebrew and the Greek. And the whole thing involves getting more and more knowledge about the Bible into your mind. You study first century historical records that tell you about the culture of Jesus and his disciples. But there's a longing that you might feel if you've grown up in that literary tradition of, of asking, yeah, but all the things they experienced back then, the, the amazing things, the miracles, the things they witnessed, is that, is that for me? Or do I just carry on the, the stories that I've heard that have been passed down? But is, is there an experience there for me? Do I... Do I have, have a moment where I encounter God. And that's what we're studying in this series. And today I want to look at somebody who was hot in pursuit of God and got some things wrong along the way. But it's a story of someone who sought to encounter God, and that's going, going to inform our own pursuit of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that your word communicates to us all that we need for life and for faith. But I thank you that it points to you. It points not just to the study, but to life with you. And so I ask that for those of us who know you and who are seeking you, I ask that you'd reveal yourself in powerful ways. 
that we would know you more, that we'd enter into your presence, that we would feel your love in something more tangible than just our imagination. Jesus, help us to experience your presence today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So here's, here's what happens in the life of faith. God is always speaking to us, but we don't always hear well. It's kind of like playing catch with your mom or your dad when you're a little kid. You go out in the yard, play catch with dad. And when you have a really little kid, what you do, I can tell you as a dad, my experience was you, you stand really, really close to the, the little one and you throw them a very soft ball at a very short distance and it bounces off of them and falls on the ground. But they get the sense that there's a game going on. So they pick it up and they sort of throw it back and they miss. And then you pick it up and you stand very, very close and you almost hand it to them and you throw it into their little hands. And then finally one of those times they get their hands on it. And you say, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And you act like your, ch your child is a genius uh, because he caught this ball from uh, six inches away. And because you cheer for them, they get this little shot of dopamine in their little bodies and they get excited and then they want to play ball all the time. And so then you advance and you stand three feet away and you throw the ball to them and they throw it back in your general direction. And as you advance more, you get them a glove so that they can, they can catch a, a harder ball or a faster ball and you step a little further away and you improve as time goes on, teaching them how to catch the ball, teaching them how to hold the glove, where to look, how to throw, how to interact with you in this game. Now, eventually, as they get older, you stand at a good distance away from them, and you throw it back and forth, and every now and then, they hold the glove in the wrong way, and you just beat them in the face. <laughs> and it happens to all of us, and you feel terrible when it happens, but every parent has had that experience. Well, think of it this way. God is always throwing to us, uh, not baseballs, but words. God is always speaking to us. God wants to be in communication with us like a good, loving, and healthy parent would. A good, healthy, and loving parent wants to be in relationship with his kids. So God is always throwing to us. The problem is we have the receiving capabilities of about a four-year-old. We miss all the time. We hold the glove wrong. We get distracted by a squirrel. We don't pay attention. Now, God never beans us in the head with his word. In fact, God is so gracious that if we say, I don't want to play, he never forces us, but he invites us. And each day he's waiting to play catch, to send speech in our direction in the hope that we'll receive. Now, I want to look at a biblical story of somebody who was eager to play catch and misunderstood how the game worked, kind of got beamed in the head. And that's the story of a guy named Simon. This is uh, in the book of Acts. So if you've got your uh, Bible with you and you want to open up, uh, we're going to look at the book of Acts chapter 8. And this now is a story of someone who believed that the experience of faith was something more than secondhand. He may have received it secondhand, it may have been explained to him, it may have been passed on to him, but he wanted a firsthand experience of faith. And there's nothing wrong with seeking that. There's nothing wrong with wanting it and going after it. Because in this life, if God is constantly trying to play catch with us, 
receiving secondhand the story of faith is sufficient for us to know him, but it's not quite as exciting as playing catch with him. So look at this text. This is uh, in Acts chapter 8 at verse 4, and this follows the story of a guy named Simon who wanted to play catch with God. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So Jesus has died on the cross and risen from the dead, and now the disciples, filled with the Holy Spirit, have moved throughout the Mediterranean. They've scattered everywhere preaching the word. Philip, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. He went around teaching about Jesus in a place where formerly uh, the Samaritans were uh, enemies of the Jewish people. And so now he's preaching the Messiah to the Samaritans. They've been welcomed in. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And this is really the story of the evangelism of the first century church. The first century church did not spread because Jesus was a really good teacher. It spread because of the miracles. The reason people flocked to see Jesus is because people who had been paralyzed their whole life were suddenly walking. And people who were possessed by demons were suddenly freed. And the disciples then went about doing that after Jesus ascended into heaven. And this is why people sought out the first century church. In the modern American church, we feel like we need to be really, really entertaining because maybe Jesus' power isn't going to be good enough to attract people to church. But the reality is, what people want and need is not a big entertaining circus on Sunday mornings. What they need is the power and the presence and the voice of Jesus. And so that's what Philip was doing. That's what the disciples were doing. And there was great joy because of it. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. And the word for sorcery is magion, from which we get magic. And we don't know a lot about what that meant in that day, except we'd compare it, we'd use the word witchcraft today. We probably wouldn't say sorcery, we'd say uh, witchcraft, because he's not Harry Potter. Uh, and he amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he was amazed, because he had amazed them for a long time, with his sorcery. Now, in the modern day world, that might sound like nonsense to you. It might sound silly. You might think, well, maybe he was doing tricks and they actually thought he had power, but who can do that? I think we might be surprised at what actually goes on in the world. Uh, the Bible from the very early days, from the book of Exodus, shows that Pharaoh had magicians who could do tricks similar, similar to the miracles that God did through Moses. And in our modern-day world, there's actually more that goes on around us than most of us pay attention to or are willing to acknowledge. I told you a couple weeks ago that one of the questions I like to ask people when we sit down for coffee and hang out a little bit is, I'll say, hey, just curious, I like to ask people this question. Have you ever seen anything in your life that you would say was supernatural, like somebody being healed from prayer or, or a ghost or something like that? And I, and I think I told you about 50% of the people I talk to say yes. But they're afraid to tell anybody, so we're not usually sharing those stories. I remember in my college days, uh, I was talking to a woman about Jesus, 
and, and trying to persuade her that God was there. And she was absolutely committed to the fact that there was no God. And we went back and forth for a while. And I finally got a little frustrated and said, Are, do you mean to tell me that you believe that the world is simply matter? It's just particles and nothing else. And at that point, she hesitated. And she said, well, no. She said, because there was a time in my high school years when my friends and I got together to have a seance by candlelight. A seance is where you try to talk to the dead by candlelight. And she said, I swear we weren't smoking anything. Right? It was Berkeley, so I swear we weren't smoking anything. She says, but as we did it, I looked into the candlelight and I could see faces of people in the candlelight. And this is someone who didn't believe in God. There is a mysterious something around us that most of us ignore or are not sure how to talk about. And so when we read about Simon practicing magic, I would suggest to you that's exactly what he was doing. And it wasn't tricks, it was power, but power from a darker force. Uh, and again, you may think that's silly, but I actually know a woman uh, who lives in Glendora who gets paid thousands of dollars per person to teach them witchcraft. It is a thing that exists in our world. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, just like we're doing at church this weekend. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So Simon now, who is out working witchcraft, outworking sorcery, has now been baptized and has become a Christian and is fascinated by the fact that the disciples are working miracles. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, okay, this is Simon playing catch now. When he saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, he's about to get beamed in the head here. He's not playing catch the right way. Verse 20. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So, Simon wanted to play catch. He had the sense that there was a power out there that could throw in his direction an experience of a power and a presence and a voice like nothing he had ever known. But he gets it a little bit wrong. And Peter pounces on him. Not that Peter was generally moderate in his relationships, so no surprise there. But there's a little glimmer of hope at the end that Simon says, wait a minute, if I've, 
if I've stepped in the wrong path here, pray that I come back to the right path. It could well be the case that Simon's story ends well. Because he's just trying to pursue a power that he perceives is really there. And it really is there. There there really are first-hand experiences of God that we are invited into. I talked to a guy in our congregation just a couple weeks ago, Mike. And Mike had had an experience in his younger years where he had taken a fall and hit his head and was on the ground and uh, somebody had called an ambulance. And he said to me, I saw in front of me, not in my imagination, I saw with my eyes in front of me, he said it was either Jesus or an angel. And this, this being said to me, wait for a second, Mike, the ambulance will be here. He said he closed his eyes and opened them again and the ambulance pulled up. He says, I'll never forget that. I saw it right in front of me. There, there really is a, a power out there and a presence into which we are invited and a voice that we can listen to because Jesus wants to play catch with us. The danger is that we fall into a literary tradition where all we know is studying the Bible, which is great. We absolutely should study with the Bible. It will stop us from going into all kinds of cultish paths of thinking we're hearing from God when it's really just us. It'll stop us from stumbling into the kind of sorcery that Simon was into. We need to study the scriptures. But we can get so immersed in a secondhand faith that we forget a firsthand faith. Uh, A pastor about a, uh, half a century ago, almost a century ago now, A.W. Tozer was describing this secondhand faith in his book, The Pursuit of God. And he says this. He says, The modern scientist has lost God amid the wonders of his world. Right? You get absorbed in the world and you forget that there's a God behind it. It can often happen, right? The modern scientist has lost God amid the wonders of his world. We Christians are in real danger of losing God amid the wonders of his word of getting so absorbed in our Bible studies that we forget the Bible is there to point us towards God. The second-hand experience of faith calls us to a first-hand experience of faith like the kind Simon wanted. So what can we learn from Simon so that we play catch well and don't end up getting beamed in the head? Well, there's a few things that I see in Simon's life that are very clear. Number one, he's seeking after God. He's seeking after this firsthand experience. He's seeking God's power. And though he might not yet know how to seek Jesus, and is instead seeking the effects of knowing Jesus, he's looking for it. And if we want a firsthand experience of faith, we should pursue it. Jesus himself says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything you need will be added to you as well. Seek it out, pursue it. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I'll come in and eat with you. If you'll let me in, I will come in and you will have a firsthand experience of faith. Secondly, I see in Simon's life, there's an assumption that the answer is going to be yes. And we should assume that the answer is going to be yes. We should assume that God eagerly desires for us to encounter him. Uh, Hebrews 11.6 says, if you want to please God, uh, you, you have to assume that he rewards those who seek him. So if you want to make him happy, you have to start with the optimistic assumption that as you seek after him, he's going to respond. And Simon does that well too. Three, Simon goes looking to the disciples who are practicing the faith. And we need to seek out an environment of faith. We need to seek out other people who are practicing the faith 
in order to live in community with them and, and, and learn what the first experience, first-hand experience of faith looks like. Uh, I was in uh, Florida a couple weeks ago on vacation. We were in Tampa, and I was kind of looking at the spiritual climate of the city. And uh, Florida is a spiritual ba- battleground. Uh, as much as it is a political battleground where people are counting hanging chads to decide who gets to be the president in the middle of the night. Remember that? Uh, those of you who are o- over, what, do you got to be over 20 now? If you, anyway, um, there was a really big thing back then. Uh, and Florida is a spiritual battle- battleground. And as I asked people, hey, I'm going to be here on Sunday, uh, what's a good church? I got all kinds of pushback. Uh, everybody I talked to said, I don't go to church. And they didn't just say, I don't know. They really, I don't go. Uh, the people that said they did go to church couldn't remember the name of the church they went to. And so I looked around, I searched online, I listened, I paid attention, and it looked like there were two kinds of churches in that landscape. One was churches that were a very elderly gathering, a few people left, who remember the times 50 years ago when the church was thriving. That and churches that were political enclaves, waving the flag and pronouncing angrily that they were going to take back the culture. Those were your two choices. Someone who doesn't know Jesus is not going to eagerly seek either one of those places. A, A church that's simply become ritual and religion for the insiders isn't going to attract people who don't know Jesus. And a church that puts politics first is only going to attract people who are already on the same political page. What people need is an experience of the power and the presence and the voice of Jesus. That's what the church is supposed to be offering the world. And if you're a Christian, your interest, your concern on Sunday morning when you gather for worship is not, what do I get out of this? Does this make me feel safe? Does this deal with my anxieties? What we ask is, is this a place where somebody who doesn't know Jesus would be welcomed and loved? Is it a place where they could experience the presence and the power and the voice of Jesus? We need to seek out community in which to worship on a weekly basis because it's in the community of faith that we experience God's presence. Um, As Augustine, uh, early church father, put it, uh, those who don't have the church as their mother don't have God as their father. And when I first read that, I thought, that's awfully strident. But you know what? I think he's right. I think when we separate ourselves entirely from community, we stop drawing close to the presence and the power and the voice of Jesus. Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. And while I know that he's with me when I'm alone, there's something catalyzing about sharing the faith in community. So all that to say, Simon was in the right place. Now, here's where Simon started to get it wrong. Simon was after power for the sake of ego. And the scripture says he took himself, uh, he, he thought of himself highly and so did everybody else. The purpose of seeking an experience of the presence of Jesus is love. Jesus says, the purpose of all of life, all of God's word hangs on this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it's all about. Do that, and everything else will fall into line. Listening to Jesus is not about puffing ourselves up or feeling important. It's about seeking places where we can love in Jesus' name, 
When we experience God's power, it's so that we can spread his love. When we experience his presence, it's so that we can spread his love. When we hear his voice, it's so that we can spread his love. Love is the defining force that leads us into a first-person experience of faith. And then, pursuing Jesus in love, we seek to live obediently and righteously. The book of James says that the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. It's a matter of cleaning off our hearts so that God's will can shine through us, so that God's love can shine through us, so that we don't get in the way of God's love. This is where Simon held the glove wrong. Simon was saying, hey, speak to me, show me how you do that so that I can be more important around here. What he should have been doing is saying, hey, I need to be smaller so that Jesus can be bigger. How do I do that? And finally, live generously. Live to share with others. When Jesus pours into you, you pour into other people. Jesus said, freely you have received, now freely give. When he sends his disciples out on their ministries, freely you have received, freely give. And I think there's a corollary to that. As we freely give, so we shall continue to freely receive. God is overjoyed to bless those who are eagerly blessing others. So live a generous life if your pursuit is a firsthand experience of God. It's open to all of us. We ought to seek it. God will take us with mixed motives and teach us how to play catch. Because Simon was, Simon was in. Simon was baptized. And it looked like at the end Simon maybe repented. God will take us on messy terms in order to teach us how to play catch. Um, I saw an example just this last week of somebody who was pursuing a firsthand experience of faith and got it. And it's not who you would think. Uh, the guy's name was Ryan, and I'm going to say his last name wrong. It was Ryan Swigliar or something like that. Uh, South African. And he was the co-founder of the Church of Satan in South Africa. You can look this up. He was praying that he would experience more power from Satan. He had had bad experiences of Christians and he didn't like the church. He said in his life, he had only experienced four Christians who treated him with unconditional love. And it had such an impact on him that he knew exactly who they were. He could name the four experiences of Christians treating him with unconditional love. Well, as he prayed for more power, he said, Jesus appeared to him. And he said, you're going to have to prove to me that you're really Jesus. And he said at that moment, he was overwhelmed with this all-consuming experience of love like he had never experienced before, but it reminded him of the four Christians who had treated him with unconditional love. At that point, he realized that this was really Jesus and that this was a real thing. And he resigned from the church of Satan and he became a Christian. And he posted a video of that testimony online. You can look it up if you want to see who he is. The experience of firsthand faith really is there for those who want more of Jesus in our lives. You just have to ask for it and expect that the answer is going to be yes. Seek it out in love for the sake of love. And be obedient and pursue righteousness as you do so.
if we pray this week, Jesus, I really want to know you more. I don't want to settle for what I've received secondhand. I want more of your presence and your power and your love and your voice. It won't be long before we hear from somewhere out there a voice calling out to us, hey, catch. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that the life of faith is an adventure and that you call us into this conversation with you where we get to listen and talk to you and listen and talk to you. And I pray that that experience would be more and more real for this church, that here at Real Life Church, we would seek you with open hearts and open minds, that we'd know your word well, and that then we'd listen for your voice and discover your love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.